This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Live and Learn on the Bigger Picture with me, Lim Su An. Article 8 of the Federal Constitution covers the principle of equality and non-discrimination here in Malaysia, but to what extent does this apply to the rights of persons with disabilities? In fact, activists and advocates have long called for legal reforms to both the Constitution and the Persons with Disabilities Act 2008 to better uphold and protect the rights of persons with disabilities here in Malaysia. So here to share more about what that legal reform could look like are Anit Korandawaf and Mira Samander, both lawyers. Um, both members of the Association of Women Lawyers and of Harapan OKU Law Reform Group. Thank you, ladies, so much for joining me today. Hi, thank you for having us. Thank you, Suen. I'm glad to have you both on. And maybe, Mira, I'll start by getting you to first give us um, a brief introduction into Harapan OKU Law Reform Group and what um, the group is advocating for. So Harakman OKU uh, group first, it's a coalition of individuals and per- and some uh, persons with disability groups. It's basically an advocacy group. So the law reform Harapan OKU is a subgroup of that, of that bigger picture. So as a parent advocate of disability, I attended a protest march on 1st of July 2018, and that's where I met Dr. Naziati, a disability advocate. So we were talk- they were protesting on the inadequacy of the act and we spoke about the need to amend it. So she then gathered a group, the late James Lau, a lawyer, Anit, who was with, was with me today, San Yunwa, who used to work with ASCAP, Mary Chen, Tasha Patterson, who is also a women's rights activist like me, uh, and we both had, had experience in drafting legislations. And uh, Wang Yunlung, and uh, so together, this group, we met twice a month. Uh, we met because James, the late James, he did a brilliant job of a comparative study of the Act and the Convention, the CRPD, uh, the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disability. And with that document, we started discussing which areas needed amending and which areas needed more input. So then we met twice a month, I think. Then COVID came, but that did not ruin our plan. Mm -hmm. So we started meeting online every Friday till today. Oh, wow. Every Friday afternoon, we've blocked it aside. And in fact, it also connected with experts from different countries uh, to help us understand further. And then uh, Sangit Dio, who also joined us, and now uh, Dr. Amar has also joined us. Mm -hmm. So our main focus of this law reform Harapan OKU is to amend the act. And basically, it needed overhaul. Mm-hmm. But we also, in the meantime, attended workshops, Binkills, organized by the Ministry of Women. And we gave input during the budget proposals, spoke at uh, CSO meetings, civil society meetings, because we realized we needed to lobby the civil society groups and not just the disability groups because we wanted everyone to understand what the need was to amend and why it was imperative and why there was an urgency that many disability groups, many individuals of persons with disability are being left behind and many are unaware of it. Mm. So that was the reason why 
uh, this group got together, the law reform group. Mm. It's about highlighting, I guess, how when we're talking about disabilities, it shouldn't only sort of involve disability rights groups, but everyone, right? It's something that everyone should be concerned about. Yeah, everyone should be concerned about because, like, for example, if a civil society group has a bank kill and then you have uh, pictures on the wall, can a blind activist come and uh, see what's going on? But he needs an audio. So can a deaf person understand and uh, you need sign language, BIM interpreters? So it is mainstreaming disability issues and the awareness is not there yet fully. So then, I mean, this would be sort of, I guess, a running theme throughout our conversation today. But how well or not are we doing when it comes to protecting the rights of persons with disabilities here in Malaysia? So right now, if you look at the Persons with Disability Act, it's very much an administrative act. You have the right stated in the act, but you can't claim your right. There are no penalties no redress mechanism. So in short, to answer your question, the persons with disability are not protected. So they're not doing well at all, in, to answer your question there, in short. It is a very much an administrative act, toothless tiger. Mm. Now, and it, like I mentioned at the start, right, sort of the core of upholding the rights of persons with disabilities is the principle of non-discrimination. Now we have... Article 8 in our federal constitution, which touches on that. But what does it say when it comes to non-discrimination of persons with disabilities? Okay, so Sue, an Article 8.2 of the federal constitution um, does not have the word disability. So in our federal constitution, um, you have gender, you have race, religion, place of birth, mm-hmm. um, descent, but not disability. So in our federal constitution, then there's no protection of um, the disabled. Neither is there a definition of discrimination in the PWD Act itself, Mm. right? So Mira was very right when she said administrative act because even discrimination of persons with disabilities is not defined in the PWD Act. So what you also have is like policies, like the zero reject policy in the MOE, right? Mm -hmm. So they say we're introducing it um, so that nobody's left behind, that children uh, with disability have got access and right to school. But again, Article 12.1, which is the article that defines the right to education, does not have the word disability. In the Constitution. In the Constitution, mm. right? So um, private schools can say, I can reject this child because I, I can't provide for this child with disability. And it's not against the constitution. It's not against any written law. So the Ministry of Education has come up with a re- zero reject policy, but it's not enshrined in any written law. Um, does that mean that, I guess, parents of children with disabilities cannot sue the school for rejecting um, kids with disabilities? There, there is no such right that they can sue for. There is... Um, the provision for reasonable accommodation in Section 28 of the mm-hmm. Persons with Disabilities Act. But, and they, it, there is a whole section on access to education, but that's it. But when the Act itself doesn't have redress mechanisms, doesn't have enforcement rights, penalties, why are you going to go? You just have to accept it, keep fighting. But if you go to court, the enforcement becomes another question mark. And how many people can actually afford to take every single rejection to court? 
as a parent, you would be concerned about getting your child into school instead of fighting legal battles. So then if there is sort of no um, penalties, no no redress mechanisms, like you said, Mira, then, you know, what is the purpose of or what is the function of the PW Act at the moment? I question the government too on that because, you know, when the Act was, uh, it came into force in 2008, first, before even ratifying the convention. Mm. So the Act does not mirror the convention. And that is the whole purpose of us right now in our group. We have redrafted the Act so that it mirrors the convention and so that every person with disability is able to access their rights and be able to live as per any other human right. So it is not just with other with disabilities, but with any other person with or without disability on an equal basis. So that is the whole purpose of us redrafting the Act. You know, but Anit mentioned just now about schools, reasonable accommodation, and the fact that you deny reasonable accommodation itself is discriminatory. Mm-hmm. And even in employment, say, for example, if you suddenly become disabled uh, because of an accident, uh, and so you expect uh, the employer perhaps to get have a ramp in place, or if you have spinal injury, perhaps get a proper chair where it's more comfortable. Mm-hmm. But... Reasonable accommodation talks about also depending on the size of the firm, uh, the employer and financial capability. We're not saying like a super technical kind of, you know, uh, chair. What is you can reasonably accommodate? And denial of that itself is discrimination. So the whole definition of discrimination needs to be, uh, as Anit said, defined in the Act. And that's what... CRPD does, the convention. It defines that. And we need to mirror it. Mm. You mentioned, Anit, that there's no definition of what reasonable accommodation is in the PW Act. Is that in itself problematic because it's opened up for interpretation? So there is a definition of reasonable accommodation in the PWD Act. Right. There is no definition of discrimination I see. All right. of, in the PWD Act. So reasonable accommodation is defined, but it's applicable only to one section, section Mm -hmm. 28, which is education. It is not applicable or expressly made to be applicable to employment, to sports, to health, to social social issues, to none of that. Mm. But we live in a very um, progressive society. I I have to give a lot of credit to organizations, CSOs, because they try, they create policies to make things inclusive. So if you now go to Malaysia airports, other than physical access to for those who are physically disabled, they've also introduced a lanyard called the butterfly effect, mm-hmm. which is for those people with hidden disabilities. So they are dignified in the sense that with that lanyard, the airport people and the airport staff recognize that they have a hidden disability and would need extra help. But they walk around as usual. So that's inclusive. Um, they will be given priority when it comes to check-in, security, early boarding. There's a calming room if they need to use it. Similarly, the vaccination centres, 
uh, when the COVID-19 vaccinations were being administered, had similar facilities and that was great. You have cinemas today that that have um, days where you can bring your child with any disability and they can feel part of it so Mm -hmm. that they don't disrupt. Some malls have become very inclusive as well. But they are doing it as a CSR, Mm. right? They're not mandated. They're not not mandated, yes. Not as a right that exists for everyone. Mm. So we don't want to be a charity model anymore. Mm -hmm. We want to make it right space. And that starts with having it, having that enshrined in law, right? That Absolutely. persons with disabilities should have equal rights to all of this. Yes. Yeah. All right. We'll go for a quick break now and continue this discussion when we come back. I also want to talk more about the CRPD that you brought up, Mira, and how um, we can use that um, to sort of ensure that Malaysia's laws are in line with um, international obligations as well. On the show with me today are Anit Korandawa and Mira Samander, both members of the Harapan OKU Law Reform Group as well as the Association of Women Lawyers. And we're talking about the need to reform the Persons with Disabilities Act 2008. We'll be right back after a few messages here on BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture with me, Lim Su An. Today on the show, we are talking about the need to put in place legal reforms to the Persons with Disabilities Act and perhaps looking bigger as well to the federal constitution to, to better ensure that we are upholding and protecting the rights of persons with disabilities on equal terms with everyone else. And joining me on the show to discuss today's topic are Mira Samander and Anit Korandawa, both members of the Harapan OKU Law Reform Group, as well as the Association of Women Lawyers. Now, before the break, we were talking about the function of the Persons with Disabilities Act and how it is at the moment essentially just an administrative act. We don't have penalties. We don't have um, forms of redress. And as such, you know, whenever we do see private entities, especially being more inclusive, it is out of their own goodwill. It is sort of done as a charity-based model. It's not done out from a rights-based model. Um, before the break, Mira, you were, you brought up the UN Convention of the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, which we um, ratified in 2010, and that was after we had the Persons with Disabilities Act. It's been 13 years since we've ratified it, right? But what obligations does that convention place on us, you know? Mm. And have we fulfilled those obligations? So before we talk about the convention, let me go back to where disability is placed within the Ministry of Women. Mm -hmm. Right now, Ministry of Women have the CRPD, the CEDAW, which is the Women's Rights Convention, and CRC. These are three major conventions, yeah? The disability is handled by Jabatan Pembangunan OKU. It is a department. And this Jabatan sits under the Kabajikan, the Welfare Department. So it's a sub-department of the... Department. Pembangunan, okay? Mm-hmm. So, it's it's very much a welfare-based uh, under the welfare system. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with welfare, but we need to elevate it to rights-based. Uh, when you want to mirror the act to the CRPD, that is some number one you have to do. And two years after ratification, the state government is obligated to submit its initial report on Mm -hmm. CRPD, yeah? And then every four years, a status report by the government on the situation of PWDs in Malaysia, in every sector, whether it's education, health, transport. 
And then NGOs will similarly submit a shadow report on the government report. And the NGOs shadow report will look at the lived realities of persons with disability. So, till to date, an initial report has never been submitted. That's about 12 years. Mm -hmm. And I have a theory. I personally think, I don't know how it feels, that it's actually very difficult for the government, for the state, to appear before the UN committee and respond to questions on why there's a delay all these years and why have you not included penalties? Why have you not included redress mechanisms or definition of discrimination? Why do you have an act when no one can uh, access justice? So until and unless that is done, how does one appear before the UN committee? That's my theory, you know. So I think it is important that the welfare department is given the financial resources and human resources and to elevate them to a right space. I'm not saying take away the welfare, no. Mm. But there are a lot of persons with disability who need the welfare system. But we need it to be a rights-based system. Mm. Can I just say that I, I also feel that if they had attempted to even domesticate the CRPD... Mm-hmm. So the, that would mean sort of harmonizing, harmonizing the PWD it, Act with yes. the CRPD. Locally. Uh, locally, in, yeah. right? So if they had even set up a committee or put up a task, task force, force, right, it would be so easy for them to write a country report and say, we are in the process. They did say in 2019, a task mm-hmm. force would be set up. up. We're still waiting. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So 2019, that would be under the then Pakatan Harapan yeah, administration. Yeah, yeah. Yes. But, you know, things changed. So... Why is it important to then fulfil our obligations, Anit? You know, because at the end of the day, someone might say, well, this is an international treaty. International treaties rarely have any enforcement powers upon any of its ratifying countries, right? So why is it important that Malaysia do its part? Malaysia also holds a seat in the Human Rights Council Mm -hmm. of the UN. Um, Persons with disabilities also deserve human rights. And this is one of... um, the many areas that they should have looked into. So our reputation on the international front is at stake as a country and as a state party. It, it feels like almost a default of not submitting a country report all these years, mm-hmm. not even one. We see, when a country ratifies a convention, there's a legitimate expectation mm-hmm. that the country will domesticate it. That means have a local act. Yeah, they did have a local act, but without any redress. So the arguments have been used, like for the Women's Convention, the, uh, the CEDAW Convention, mm-hmm. we have not domesticated it. We have been working on drafting the Gender Equality Bill. We have not domesticated it. But it has been used in court as a persuasive argument. And judges have said there was the government ratified it because there was an intention Mm-hmm. to domesticate it. So courts do listen and understand the need to domesticate. So similarly, we hope that that's why it is important to domesticate. Mm. 
Now, interestingly, Mira, when I was reading about this topic, right, I saw that we have reservations to the CRPD as well, as we do to um, many other international treaties. But interestingly, the two reservations that we have are on um, Article 15, which is freedom mm. from torture or cruel, inhumane or degrading treatment or punishment, and Article 18 on freedom of movement and citizenship. Now, it seems very strange that we have reservations on these two articles. I guess, what does it tell us about the protections that are offered two PWDs here in Malaysia? Okay, the reservations. Okay, right now the government is in the process of looking into removal of death, abolishment of death penalty. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And also, we hope citizenship for children born overseas to Malaysian mothers mm-hmm. uh, married to foreign husbands. So once that is removed, everyone would enjoy similar rights, whether you're a person with disability mm-hmm. or not. So... It doesn't matter whether you have a disability or not. Once that reservation is... It applies to everyone, this reservation. It's just that they had to do it in this convention and other conventions also. So the only question in mind is like death penalty, uh, uh, torture and things like that is when you go to court, you have to assess whether the person has a mental capacity to stand for trial and understands the issue. So those are the things that we should be concerned about. Yeah. Mm, All right. Going back to, I guess, the the report that we would have to submit for Mm. the CRPD, right? What sort of information would um, civil society organisations be able to glean about the state of protection for for PWDs here in Malaysia? You know, do we have enough information in the first place? I think we do. We do. But the only thing is we don't have gender disaggregated data. Would that be something that I guess would be included in the report or should be included in the report? It should be, but we don't know what the data are. The data is because it's never shared publicly. It depends on, okay, say for example, under health, Mm -hmm. (coughs) how many uh, have dementia? We probably have that. The government will definitely have. So the information is sort of parked under each of its ministry and not necessarily... um, one resource centre, yes. yeah. So it, it would take a multi-sectorial, uh, multi-ministry collaboration yeah. to collect the information, but it can be done. So actually, all ministries need to take active steps to review, and that has to be ongoing, mm-hmm. to look at which laws are inconsistent with CRPD or which laws restrict the movement or enjoyment of their rights, uh, we, and then we need to introduce and strengthen laws that have positive measures. Mm. Uh, apart from legal change, we also looked at monitoring and enforcement. Basically, disability needs to be inclusive. It needs to be mainstreamed. And that's where we need to tackle what ableism is about, engage media practitioners like yourselves, uh, education authorities, influencers to eradicate stereotypes. And it's a large-scale exercise, I know. Mm -hmm. I mean, that requires commitment, political will, commitment, human resources, financial resources. And right now, being under a subdivision, we are always, persons with disability are always left behind. And the slogan is, no one should be left behind. And that's the irony of it. Mm. And they are left behind. Mm. So we hear stories, um, Sue Ann, of 
people who are disabled, who are not able to come out and enjoy parks, who are not able to come out and access public transport, who are not able to come out or even enjoy a social or a cultural event, uh, such accessibility is at its... And that is actually very, very basic. basic. Mm. Those basic rights and the buildings being accessible have to be enforced because we've had this act for so long. We also have the Uniform Building Bylaws, yeah. right, under mm. the Street Drainage and Building Act. But again, <coughs> there are bylaws with very little enforcement mechanisms. If you could fine the owner of the building for not making the building accessible, for mm-hmm. example, everybody would work towards doing it, right? Um, Mira did mention reasonable accommodation and you know not, not making it burdensome on people. So a time frame, tax incentives, let's, let's make everything more accessible. You know, let's, let's include them because they can definitely contribute positively to the growth of the country if you even allow them out of their homes. There are some parents I know where children have gone to, uh, you know, with intellectual disability, gone to parks and not knowing what to do. Oh, this boy or this young boy is, you know, screaming and they get upset and they, you know, chase them away. That awareness is not there. But you cannot have a park just for them. It must be inclusive. Social life must be inclusive. You don't want to be segregated. Exactly. Precisely. I'm sure we can be inclusive to have uh, an understanding that sometimes these children who go to parks, some adults, they have issues. So within the criminal justice system, if I could just bring it up, mm-hmm. there are uh, gaps. We need the judges, the magistrates, the prosecutors, uh, court staff, police to all be on board that sometimes they will be able to pick up that there's something wrong with the accused, right? They need to be able to refer them for assessment to the proper health care professionals to get a diagnosis to see if even they are fit for trial. Because some people with intellectual or learning disabilities will avoid eye contact. Mm. And sometimes sitting on the bench, they might think, hey, this person is being funny, not looking me in the eye, he's evasive, Mm. and make judgment calls like that. There are others who get very, very anxious with sensory uh, issues, with um, the whole court environment. It's daunting for a non-lawyer to even walk into a court. Mm -hmm. What more a person with disabilities? So some, some form of education and awareness program so that this could be picked up before they are then pushed into the criminal justice system and in prisons, which is not going to help and only make the situation worse, is absolutely necessary. How do we put those reforms in place to ensure that the criminal justice system is more sensitised? It starts all with awareness. Yes, awareness. And so that's where we hope the ministry will work in hand in hand with the law ministry, with the police and it's not just ministries, it's enforcement agencies that have to come together. I also want to talk about, sorry, to, uh, about we spoke about what needs amendment. We also need a tribunal to look in mm-hmm. for this because it can be daunting going to court mm-hmm. yeah, for anyone, especially like a children's court and all now we have. 
a tribunal is less daunting. It's less, you know, it's not so expensive and uh, it is not adversarial and it's perhaps quicker uh, for redress, you know, for justice. So we are also lobbying for a tribunal and we also are lobbying for the removal of ouster clauses. Uh, I think that is a, another discussion to go into the, because the Act Section 41 and 42 prevents and protects the government and public officers from being sued if they acted in good faith. Mm -hmm. I know good faith is subjective, you know. So I think it's important to look into this area. But first of all, we need the definition of discrimination. We need penalties in place and we need redress mechanism, access to justice. Right so now, will all of that sort of be included in legal reforms of the PWD yes, Act? Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. I guess on one hand, if we were to amend the PWD Act to include a, a definition of discrimination, right? What about amending the federal constitution itself? Yes. Will that be required as well? Is that what you're pushing for as well? I mean... We definitely are pushing for amendment for the PWD Act and you need a two-thirds majority for that, you know. Uh, well, if they are planning to amend the constitution for citizenship, for, for well, it's timely to amend the constitution for Article 8 to include, you know, in 2001, include a gender. Mm -hmm. uh, now it's time to include disability. And in the process, insert the word disability, that one word in Article 1212. Yeah. For education. Yes. And, yeah. th and that's in the federal constitution, yes. right? Yes. That is mm -hmm. missing there too. Mm. Say if um, the PWD Act is amended to include a definition of discrimination, but the federal constitution is not amended, will yeah. that be a no. problem? No, it won't be a problem because you're using the Act. But you want it to be in line because why then have the ground stated in the constitution? You have gender, race, religion. Why did you intentionally leave out disability. Mm. And if you can get enough support to amend the Act, yes. it shouldn't be an issue to yes. amend the Constitution Correct. as well. So then, okay, we've run through sort of a few of the legal reforms you'd like to see, um, amendment of the PWD Act to include a, a definition of disability. We've um, you've spoken about the need for a tribunal um, so that people can seek redress, uh, Mira. Um, there's also, need you also mentioned the criminal justice system and how we need, um, I guess, better awareness, better sensitization, and I guess um, a set of guidelines of sort to help guide what all these procedures should look like. I guess, any are there, are there any other legal reforms that you'd like to see in this area to better uphold and protect the rights of persons with disabilities? Anything I missed? I, I, I think right now when the child commissioner has been appointed, mm -hmm. uh, perhaps the child commissioner also needs to look at children with disability. Yeah, it should not be just um, abuse and um, neglect, neglect yeah. and sexually abused and harassed. Um, it should also include the rights of children with disability. And that would be a yeah. good platform to raise things that children with disabilities face. Actually, you're right, uh, Anit, because the women's groups, uh, you know, we are preparing a report mm -hmm. which for January. Uh, and it's we also, in the shadow report or alternative report, we, we also discuss women and girls with disabilities in the report. And that is another area 
for CRC, Children's Rights Convention, their reports, their, their CSO reports also have, will talk about children with disabilities. So, and these are three major conventions, you know, under mm. the ministry. I don't know how they do it. Uh, it's a lot of time and energy needed. Perhaps we need another ministry <laughs> for persons <laughs> with disability. Uh, I know... Uh, the Prime Minister has been saying, you know, budget is an issue. But we have to look... I mean, don't look at disability as just someone who's been disabled uh, because of uh, impairment. That's not the root cause of the problem that needs to be fixed or cured or treated. It is the attitudinal and the environment that prevents it the physical, attitudinal and institutional barriers that hinders the participation. And mind you, anyone of us here, the three of us here, can become disabled for some reason. As we grow older, the age population, mm -hmm. we have dementia, uh, and that's not included in the... No, is it, it isn't. Is it included in the PWD Act. As, so we need a comprehensive definition to include other disabilities also. And then we could be... You know, if you have an accident, mm -hmm. you be, can become disabled temporarily or permanently. So when people look at disability, oh, it's you're born with it or you're impaired. Mm. No, any one of us could become. That could be a reasonable possibility. Mm. So in, in instances like that, the employment law also needs to be able to deal with whether you make reasonable accommodations mm. to reassign the person to a job more suitable because of the disability, um, you know, it, it's totally different because if they get medically boarded out or something, they're going to have job seekers discrimination if they reapply mm. to, to get another job mm -hmm. because they're going to have to declare that they are disabled and they have certain limitations. So when reasonable accommodation within the Act does not apply to the employment section, there is a huge hindrance and there is no... There's no reason for employers to say, hey, let's relook our policies and be more inclusive. Mm. The the reasonable accommodation clause has to apply to all sectors, Correct. isn't it? Not Absolutely. just education, yes. if Correct. we want to be inclusive. Yes. Right now, it's silent on employment. Mm. On the show with me today are Mira Samantha and Anit Korandawa, both members of the Harapan OKU Law Reform Group and the Association of Women Lawyers, joining me to discuss the legal reforms needed to the Persons with Disabilities Act 2008. We'll be right back after a quick break, so don't go anywhere on Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture with me, Lim Su An. We are discussing the need for legal reform to better protect the rights of persons with disabilities here in Malaysia, particularly the need to update the Persons with Disabilities Act 2008, as well as Article 8 in the Federal Constitution to include disabilities under the principle of non-discrimination. So joining me on the show today to discuss this topic, Amira Samander and Anit Korandawa, both members of the Harapan OKU Law Reform Group and the Association of Women Lawyers. Now, Mira and Anit, you've both spoken about the challenges that we face, the, the gaps with the current um, legislation that we have, especially with the Persons with Disabilities Act being pretty much a toothless tiger. Now, activists and advocates like yourself have long spoken about the need to reform and update our laws for years. It's not something new that we've been hearing about. So, Anit, 
you know, what's been the main barrier here? I think it's political, political will. will. Lack of yeah. it. Absolute lack of it. Amira mentioned just now, we, we were talking of a task force from 2019. Yeah. An that, we, that we have not yet seen. We have not seen. And also, sadly, not recognising that persons with disability can be can contribute to the economy. I think that non-recognition is very apparent. And also they have this 1%... Uh, 1% person, uh, employment of persons with disabilities within the civil service. Mm-hmm. It's not applicable to the private sector. 1%. And there are 15% of persons with disability in Malaysia. That's not including... Uh, the caregivers. Yeah. And, you know, mind you, when we talk about, sorry, care partners, we call them, most of the care partners are women. And they give up their jobs to look after their loved ones. And it is a strain. And in many other countries, the care partners are given an allowance by the government Mm -hmm. because, you know, they need that to be able to support their either parent or uncle or auntie to... Uh, enrich the person's life, you know. Mm. And these care partners also struggle, especially when they ha- they have family members with mental health issues, right? Because a lot of times they're not able to get an assessment and there's no laws uh, governing a mental capacity act. So we need one of those because we, with this aging population that Mira talked about, we have age-related diseases, with intellectual disabilities, you need to plan for your children on who's going to look after them when you are not around. There is a provision in other countries where under a Mental Capacity Act, you can leave a lasting power of attorney, mm. which is valid during the lifetime of a person. And we don't have that here? We don't have that here. Singapore has it. Yeah, yeah Singapore has it. The UK has it. And that lasting power of attorney is lodged in a court of protection, which is helmed by a pub- public guardian. Mm-hmm. And then you can nominate who is to look after a person who is mentally incapacitated, who is to run their finances, who is to run, make health decisions. And then you also can have advanced directives that, you know, if this happens to me, I would like for this kind of treatment to be withheld or this kind of treatment to be done. Um, these are all things that are going to make life easier, provided we have a legal framework that governs it because otherwise would doctors want to act on a directive when it doesn't have the force of the law? And someone acts on your behalf. Exactly. Hmm. Because there would be a, a worry, yeah. you know, as to whether they would be taken to task. Or they will abuse it. Absolutely. To whatever property you have and, you know. So hmm. there is, they, right now it's open to financial abuse, hmm. physical abuse. Um, there, there's so many things within the elderly and the geriatric um, community that uh, is very, very worrying. Mm. And I've seen cases being taken to court, siblings fighting over it because mum or dad is not around or mum has dementia, so they're fighting over the property. So we want to avoid that. Mm. And that goes back to what um, you both were saying earlier, that we don't recognise dementia as a disability, right? The the things that older adults go through, <coughs> we often don't view them through a disability lens. And that's, a, that's an important part of us doing better to help them as well, yeah. because to, to, to support them and, and to better support everyone as we all age. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Now, 
Of course, the key part of all this is that, you know, legal reforms aren't the only solution. They are part of a bigger solution. But why is it important, Mira, that we at least have that basis first, you know, that we have, that we do update and reform the PW Act or even the Constitution? Why is it important? Because in many countries without a law, nothing works. You you have... uh, you know, when like when we started with sexual harassment, we had policies in mm-hmm. place and we tried to get employers to adhere to these policies. Mm-hmm. It didn't work. You need an act to mandate it. And similarly, you need acts, laws and policies in place to mandate them. And like as Anit mentioned just now, the, you know, the bylaws, there's no mandatory provision, no penalties. So everything goes, you know, as and when I please. Ah. So we need laws and policies in place for there to be order. Mm. With, with the bylaws, if you actually look at a building being renovated, the five-foot way is more often than not blocked, mm. <laughs> right? So if a person on a wheelchair needs to use the five-foot way because they, they, tra- they want to travel on, on a flat ground, right? On the five-foot way, a, reg- a regular person will be able to get off the five-foot way, walk on the road for a while, and then get back on. What about a person on a wheelchair? They can't. Or even or even a person using a cane, cane. right? Absolutely. Yeah. issues, it's not yeah. easy. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, just things like that. They, there's no civic consciousness until it's mandated. So Mira's right. I mean, only as of this month, I'm sorry, this year, January of this year, do we need to have signs of... Uh, what is sexual harassment and sexual harassment awareness because the Employment Act was amended and this was mandated. Mm-hmm. I also wanted, if we have time, to talk about financial services, how we had a, we had several cases of uh, a blind person who had the financial credibility, applied for a loan, and they asked for an extra condition for a guarantor. If I go and ask, get a loan, and if I have the financial credibility... They wouldn't ask for extra condition. The argument that is often used is, oh, they can turn around and say, oh, I couldn't read, I couldn't say. But now you have digital accessibility so easily available. So I think it's high time Bank Nagara mandates the commercial banks that they cannot be discriminatory towards whether you're blind or you're deaf. Mm. It's it's unfortunate, isn't it, that a lot of things in Malaysia, even though there are things that are very obvious to many of us that we should be doing because it's the right thing to do, we don't do it until the sticks comes out, until yeah. we have the law yes. in place. Correct. Yes. And it's 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 just an unfortunate reality that that's the, the society that we live in. So, you know, this is at least the one step towards... Yes getting the ball rolling and then getting better awareness and getting more support for um, the community of persons with disabilities. With a lot of reforms happening in other um, acts and laws, we are hopeful to see something more substantive come along with the um, Persons with Disability Acts, considering that, you know, it's been in place for 13 years. We have ratified the UNCRPD. It's high time that we, um, and we are, like you said, Anit, on the Human Rights Council, it's high time that we show, that we walk the talk, that yeah. we show that, you know, we are taking the rights of everyone in this country seriously. Um, to wrap up our discussion, could I get a final message from both of you for about what we've been talking today about the need to reform the Persons with Disability Acts and do better when it comes to protecting the rights of persons with disabilities. Mira? Yeah, as you said just now, it is not just legislative reforms. 
uh, that needs to be looked at. It is sensitizing every individual and it is also, my job is also to sensitize the civil society groups also and media practitioners and uh, the health ministry. I mean, say if you have uh, a young girl who has a hearing impairment and she goes for a treatment, how are you going to assist her? Do you always need, a, I mean, um, the, the child needs a parent there or an adult even. Mm-hmm. So it is, there's so many various ministries that need uh, sensitization. Perhaps maybe it's unfair to say that they, that they do understand, but you've got to have budgets in place to allow them to carry out this processes to uh, have this aids available in schools also. Uh, I mean, we talk about inclusive education. We need to walk the talk. So this, it is these institutional barriers that, need, uh, that we need to eradicate. Attitudinal problems also. You know, we always talk very much in ableist. We all have very much an ableist attitude. Mm-hmm. And, of course, physical. So, lastly, the political will must be there. Annie? I think it all starts in schools. It starts at home. Mm. Uh, we we need to start making schools more inclusive. We need it to be weaved into our education system that it's okay to be different. And disability is not a disease. It's not infectious. Mm. It provides... Um, it provides society a, a subject that becomes uh, a very positive impact. Normalize right? it. Right? Yeah. Normalize it and say, hey, we can do things together but differently. Um, if that can happen and it starts in school, as they grow up, they will take that when they go to university, mm. when they go to, into the workforce, and then they start, trust me, when you live, leave it to the children, they they find ways to make it inclusive. Mm-hmm. And, and and then when you move ahead, they will find ways to make society better. So we need to plant the seed, legislatively as well as awareness. You're right. Huh? And it, it starts from home uh, as parents and it starts in nursery. It's like we talk about sex education, gender yes. education in at nursery. Don't wait to primary school. Absolutely. Everything starts young. Yeah. Everything yeah. starts young because that's when that's when you mould their thought process. Yeah. All right. Thank you both so much for joining me today. Thank you for having Thank us. Thank you for having us. I've been speaking to Anit Korandawa and Mira Samantha, both members of the Harapan OKU Law Reform Group and the Association of Women Lawyers about the need to reform the Persons with Disability Acts and the greater topic of legal reforms when it comes to better upholding the rights of persons with disabilities here in Malaysia. If you missed any part of today's show or any previous Live and Learn episodes, you can download our podcast on bfm.my or on the BFM app. I'm Lim Suen and this has been Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.